Before we get into the next episode of By Association, I'd like to take a moment to thank Bose for their support of this podcast and their amazing noise-canceling 700 headphones that make each episode a joy to make. Thank you, Bose. Hi, I'm Marisa Janiku. And I'm Michelle Wungsumanavi. And welcome to By Association, a show where we talk about the connection between creative entrepreneurs and their collective drive to bring a product or brand with purpose to the consumer. A connection usually starts with a drink, and this is how we'll start our show. Sharing a bottle of wine or champagne, and understanding why this bottle is special to our guest. Welcome to episode number seven on the By Association podcast. We're here at Citizen M in uh, Amsterdam. Uh, my name is Michel Wongsmanawi. On my right, we have uh, Marisa Janaku. And right in front of me, we have a special guest, Robin Chatna. Welcome, Robin. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Gezellig. You <laughs> <laughs> always uh, start by uh, uh, the, our guest introducing himself. So, how would you describe yourself? Oh, God. How do, how do others describe <laughs> myself? How do I describe myself? Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very honored to be guest number seven because that's also my lucky number. Uh, and I'll tell you why in a minute. So, my name is Robin Chada, uh, born in The Hague, Holland, uh, Indian father, Dutch mother, American education. So I'm a melting pot of uh, three different cultures and born on 7777. Oh, um, so that's a bit of my background. Um, professionally, I am currently the uh, CMO of uh, Citizen Hotels, which uh, I've held that function since uh, its inception. And uh, working with an amazing team, uh, an amazing company, growing a brand uh, across the globe of uh, hotels for the new type of traveler who want luxury at an affordable price. I know you, of course, from Citizen M. That's where we met. But how do you guys met? Where do you guys meet? <laughs> Me and Maurice go way back. Way back. I've seen him in diapers. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so the, the story actually is that uh, when my father uh, came to Holland, he actually hitchhiked from India to Holland. And uh, once he got settled, he met my mom. Some of the first friends that they met were Maurice's parents. Oh, really? So Maurice's oh. father and my father became very close and our mother became very close. And that's, of course, how we got to know each other. Maurice was still living in uh, Nigeria then. But when the summers would get too hot, uh, they would come to <laughs> Holland. So every summer we would have uh, Maurice and the family over and uh, spend the summer together. So uh, I've known him since he had a lot more hair, <laughs> a lot more voluminous hair. <laughs> and we grew up, uh, you know, playing in the backyard, swimming, skateboarding, you name it. Uh, then we lost touch for a while because I moved to America for university and then randomly ran, we kind of uh, touched base again. We uh, bumped into each other in our favorite, uh, favorite bar, favorite yeah. bar area in the Hague at St. Jerome's, which was St. our Stomkuch. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And ever since then, I haven't been able to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. Because that's a funny thing. Uh, yeah, we're working together now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> building the brand exactly Maurice is of course uh, the um, director of marketing at Citizen M so we work very very closely together on uh, all aspects of uh, of the business so mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun so it's amazing how that relationship has come 360 and now we're working together yeah cool did not know that no yeah totally new diapers me. man yeah <laughs> but he was in diapers too let's just let's just make that clear <laughs> Maurice is of course older than me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank god we're not filming this right <laughs> No, cool. Nice to have you, Robin. It's good. It's, it's, it's good to have you. And, and, you know, I really wanted to bring you on by association purely because, you know, we share the same passion for branding. And I think there's a lot that, you know, I've learned from you 
and 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 we've discussed a lot about branding and i'd love to really just share that with with the listeners um and also just you know citizen m but we'll go way back to where it all started um, but we start every episode with a drink um something me and you have done many many <laughs> many many times <laughs> but um you know please tell us about the bottle you brought and it is the right size because you know how much we drink uh <laughs> but please uh tell us about the bottle and why you brought that sure so i brought a, a gunar uh champagne blanc de blanc uh unfortunately i couldn't find a full-size bottle so it's a bit of a piccolo uh, but nonetheless, uh, it has a lot of significance for me. Um, but I think what makes this champagne special, well, number one, is it's Grunard is the oldest champagne house. Huh? Before Grunard, there was no other champagne house. It's been there since 1729. Um, I like it a lot because it's uh, not too acidic, it's not too fruity, it's got a very nice balance. And uh, it's made out of 100% Chardonnay grapes, uh, which is also my favorite white wine to drink. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's particularly significant to me because I got married last September and this was a champagne that we poured at our wedding. Um, so that's why I brought it. I thought it'd be a good conversation starter and it also tastes really good. So I think we should have a sip. Yeah. Yep. 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 I know a lot about that from your wedding. That's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> maybe those stories will come out <laughs> as we And drink. the good news is that I still have a garage full of this stuff. <laughs> in france because uh, i ordered way too much i thought i thought my friends would drink a little mm. bit more but uh i think i overestimated that so i think i've still got about 30 40 boxes of it lying yeah, in the yeah, garage in france we were still recuperating from his bachelor's let's put it that way <laughs> that was uh, that that's why we all took it a bit easy no perfect while well, we open it up, we yeah. open it up? let's right. open it up and we start that cool. way and we uh but whilst you open it up so born and ray uh, born in holland american education and then you went to america Let's start there. Where, 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 like, you're now the CMO, yeah. But you, of course, studied more business. Let's say that, okay. And where did you study, and what did you study? And yeah, sure. Um, so basically, I went to a university uh, in Washington D.C. called AU, the American University. The reason how I ended up there was actually because I did not want to go to a university in America, which was you know 95, 96 percent uh, American students. I grew up in the, of course, the American school system, but a very international background, lots of different diversity, lots of different students from around the world. And uh, there was only a handful of universities in America which had a student body which was more than 20, 25% international students. And AU was one of them. Also in the nation's capital, uh, it was a city feel, but also had a campus, which I'd always envisioned with, you know, sprawling lawns mm -hmm. and a quad and different buildings for the different schools. Um, I did a double degree there, so I did international management uh, and international marketing. Um, studied there for about four or five years, uh, and then after that I uh, started my work career. But uh, living in America, of course, was very, very easy for me because I had grown up also with that culture. I grew up playing American sports, watching American movies, eating mm -hmm. American junk food, listening to American music, had a lot of American friends. So for me, it was an easy transition. Um, but always important to keep your values uh, that, you've, that you've learned at home, of course. I had values which were very down-to-earth, very grounded, very humble from my Dutch side, from my mother, and uh, maybe a little more spiritual values from my Indian, Indian side, from my Indian father. So as long as you keep true to yourself, then uh, you can navigate yourself through, uh, through life pretty easy, I would say. Yeah, and then, um, and then graduated. 
thing is I know some of these stories, so let's just <laughs> lead down that way. Yeah, sure. And, so, and, and your first job, where was that? Yeah, so my first job was uh, on the New York Stock Exchange on Wall Street. Uh, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a businessman, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, my father was a founder and a CEO of a successful fashion company, but I also didn't want to work for him right away. I wanted to earn my own stripes. So uh, just by chance, I was playing in a golf tournament and I was partnered up with an older gentleman and he was asking me, you know, well, what do you do? I said, well, I just graduated university. I'm actually looking for my first job. All my friends are in New York. I want to find something there. And he said, well, do you have your CV with you? I said, well, not on me, but I have it here. He said, why don't you stop by the house tonight? Show it to me. Maybe I can help. I had no idea who this gentleman was. So I went to his house in the evening. I showed him my, uh, my CV. And he said, can you go to New York tomorrow? I said, sure. He goes, okay, I want you to meet uh, my right hand there. And uh, he'll interview you. And then we'll see if we can have something for you. So I, I got on the plane, went to New York. Uh, to a company called Fondermola, which was a big market maker at that time on uh, on Wall Street. They did about 20, 25% of the volume, so really big. And I did an interview there. They, I had to do a physical test. I had to do a drug test. I had to do all kinds of tests. I flew back to France, and within a week, they said, okay, when can you start? <laughs> nice. And that's how it started. So that was my first uh, job. Uh, it taught me discipline. Uh, I had to wake up at 4 a.m. every single morning, and I went to bed at around midnight every night. So the first week, I thought I'm not going to make it. At what time did you have to be at the office then? No, I was. I was so basically, I left. Uh, I was. I couldn't afford an apartment in the city, mm -hmm. so I was living in Long Island with a friend. Uh, so I'd wake up around four, leave the house at around quarter to five, five o'clock, mm -hmm. get on the Long Island Railroad into uh, Penn Station. I would get there around six o'clock, six fifteen. Then took the subway down to uh, World Trade Center, mm -hmm. so the Twin Towers, then walk over to uh, to the exchange and get prepared for the day of trading. And then uh, the stock exchange opened at 9.30. We traded till 4. And then, of course, uh, since we were the, the lowest of the lowest, we had to do all the administration afterwards. And if errors were made, we'd have to go and dive into these boxes of paper tickets and uh, <laughs> find the error. This was before the exchange was automated. Um, and of course, then you need to have dinner. So then you're not going to go all the way back home. So you have dinner somewhere, and but then you have to do the whole journey back. Right. So it was really like Groundhog Day. But uh, it taught me discipline. It taught me about financial markets, of course. And it also taught me that uh, finance is not uh, something that I was passionate about. <laughs> I think I was the only guy in the subway and the train reading, you know, the Women's Wear Daily fashion magazine <laughs> going down the Wall Street when everyone else was reading the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times. <laughs> so that's, uh, that was my first job. Yeah. And that was, and how long were you there for? Before, I, I was mean, there for two years. For two years, but you were like, this is not for me, it, it, you know. It, it wasn't for me, yeah. And actually, I mean, financially, it was very, you know, um, very attractive, right? Because I was a young kid and I was making quite a lot of money and a nice bonus. But yeah, that wasn't a motivator for me at that time. Uh, I do remember when I got my first paycheck, I was so excited. I went to Barney's. And I bought a pair of Prada shoes, which was, was my dream to have these shoes, you know. And uh, I'll tell you a little secret. I still have them. I don't wear them, but I still have them in a box because they're sentimental to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and then, uh, was the, and then you, uh, you decided it's not for me. Did you immediately leave the financial world and go more into a brand, into marketing? I did. So I didn't go into marketing right away. So when I left Wall Street, uh, I uh, really wanted to get into fashion. I knew eventually I'd like to work for my father and then uh, and I also knew that I wanted to stay in New York by that time I had a girlfriend there and uh, I was pretty comfortable I'd find an apartment in the city so then uh, I got an opportunity to work at uh, Tommy Hilfiger at mm -hmm. the headquarters for Tommy Jeans mm -hmm. 
And that taught me another lesson. That, that taught me that uh, I couldn't work for a brand whose values I, I couldn't stand behind. Not that Tommy Hilfiger itself as a company had wrong values, but they just weren't the same as mine. And I didn't really have an affiliation with the brand. Uh, where was that? And what was that differentiation? What was that? What was that non-affiliation with? Well, it was a few things. I mean, I f- found the, the culture uh, at Tommy Hilfiger uh, very. It was all about hierarchy. It was all about your title. Uh, again, I started at the bottom there. I was a, kind of a, an intern, uh, an assistant, and you could really see that it would, they would take advantage of that sometimes. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that just didn't fly with me. You know, I, I worked very hard. I learned a lot about the fashion uh, business there, although I already knew a lot. But I just didn't gel with the with the people there and the community that was in the office, and that's so important uh, mm-hmm. in a job. You know, I think passion is important, but also uh, the culture of a company is something that will either keep you there for True. a long time or it'll force you to you know find other opportunities. Yeah. And was there was that the most important thing you learned, or also just about how to work <coughs> on a major brand like Tommy? Was, was I didn't any... learn that there, to be honest. No, no? I was really worked. I was really uh, on the merchandising side, so really busy with product. Uh, and uh, putting product together. So I was busy with all the showrooms when all the big buyers would come in from Bloomingdale's, from Saks Fifth Avenue. I would have to make sure that all the showrooms, there were about 12 of them, looked identical. They were you know, color coordinated, price coordinated. I would do all the showings. So I didn't really get onto the marketing side, unfortunately, there. Okay, but it did prep you for your next move then? It prepped me a little bit for the next move. So, the, so that time I said, okay, now might be the time to you know, make a big step. So I spoke to my father. He said, listen, You've worked now a couple of years outside of the business. Um, what would you think about coming and working for Max? Uh, I said, yes, but I, I want to learn first. You know, I want to come in humble and I want to learn first because I don't want to come in, first of all, as the son of. And also, I, I need to learn a lot. So mm-hmm. uh, for the first year, I worked on the retail side of the business. Uh, Max had different uh, businesses. It had wholesale, of course, predominantly retail and then a little bit of e-commerce at that time. So I started on the retail side of the business, which were the actual retail stores that we owned. Um, and uh, there I spent a month in every single department. So it was product, pricing, visual merchandising, operations. Uh, it was an amazing, fun time. I traveled all throughout Europe, and that's where I really, really learned a lot about uh, not only Max, but also about the fashion business. So from Tommy Hilfiger up till this point, you always wanted to go into marketing or the marketing side of the business, but you just you were working yourself. Well, of course, I studied marketing, and I, I grew up around branding, I watched my father build his brand. So, uh, but of course, when you're that young, you don't really know, you know, what do you want to sink your teeth into? You know, when mm-hmm. you want to get into business, you know, you want to be successful, but you don't really know what you're good at yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a long time to figure that out, actually. <laughs> but anyway, so after I finished the retail side of the business, I decided that I need to also know, well, I need to know the back. How are these products made? You know, how do we price them? How do we set up collections? So I did the same exercise on the back end uh, of the business. I actually worked very closely with uh, a team within the company called XX by Mex, which was the, the, the collection for the younger girl from 18 to 25 years old. Uh, and that was amazing because I spent a lot of time in the production facilities. I s- spent about three, four months in, uh, in Istanbul, in Turkey. Uh, so really uh, sunk my teeth into the production side of things. We launched our uh, own denim collection, which was called XX by Mex Jeans at that time. So that was the first time that I kind of saw a gap in the market. I said, listen, there's all these new brands popping up. You know, there's Miss 60, there's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, there's, uh, there's all these other sub-labels for the younger girl, and we didn't have that. Mm-hmm. So we launched a sub-brand called XX by Max Jeans. Uh, the funniest story about that is that uh, we, of course, did all the photo shoots, 
And the model for the first photo shoot of XX by Max is now my wife. Oh. And I had no idea about that until after we had met and after we got together. Yeah. So she said, yeah, I worked for Max at one time. So, uh, so that's what I did. And then I ended up back on the retail side of the business as a, as a buyer for the men's collection and men's accessories. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a little bit uh, what I did there. I'm not sure for how long. I think it was about a year and a half, two years. And then uh, Max was sold to an American company called Liz Claiborne. And at that time, I figured, okay, now, now what do I do? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a good time to have a drink now. I think so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey. There yeah. we go. All right. It's a small bottle, but there's quite a lot of things going to come out of it. That's fine. It's going to be dry for me, huh? <laughs> If you want more after this, I saw some verb in the refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. Chin, chin. Cheers to a good podcast and to life. As our former, um, as Ron Simpson in, the, in, in, in one of our, in our episode four said, cheers to the celebration. Cheers to the celebration. I'll mimic those words. <laughs> <laughs> when do you drink this? Is it only when you celebrate? or just on the regular um, celebrations uh, when I go out usually when I used to go out a lot <laughs> I used to always like drinking champagne uh, I don't drink it as often as I would like to I guess but I think that also is what makes it special hmm. I think if I would drink it every day then uh, maybe it would lose it so well, any, anytime we got for dinner oh anytime I'm with Maurice of course we drink champagne <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all you take that's standard so drinking champagne if I'm not mistaken I think I know what that next move was yeah so the next move um, was uh, something very different because I was always fascinated with uh, interior design with hospitality so whether it was hotels or restaurants or bars and of course I would travel a lot so I'd be in London or New York or Paris and I would always see these amazing concepts you know and at that time uh, Amsterdam um, nightlife uh, at least for me had become a little bit mundane there was nothing really innovative at that time there was a lot of places to go a lot of variety but a lot of the bigger clubs had closed down of course the roxy was already closed the it was closed there was nothing innovative actually until jimmy Wu opened uh, so jimmy Wu was i think a you know real step forward in amsterdam nightlife um, and uh, i decided to step into that world so i wanted to create something that was uh, International, which had the allure of an international establishment, which combined amazing cocktails, uh, real mixologists behind the bar, uh, amazing entertainment, uh, DJs uh, and acts, and uh, incredible food, uh, which was based upon, let's say, molecular gastronomy. So very innovative, uh, and of course, a, a striking <coughs> interior design. So uh, in uh, 2005, we opened the doors to, uh, to Rain, which was located on the Rembrandt Plain, and uh, it was basically a restaurant, bar, and a club. Uh, it was a very ambitious project. It was never meant to be that big. We wanted to do something very small. I had one business partner, Bas Van Dam, and we started this together. And our initial idea was to do something really kind of a small lounge, which maybe served some sushi and had a DJ, mm -hmm. which was really cool, uh, you know, innovative and uh, very uh, inspiring from an interior design point of view. And we just could not find an appropriate location. Uh, the first location we looked at is now uh, Envy. I think mm -hmm. it's on the Prinzegracht, which was a perfect location, but we couldn't come to a deal there. 
And then um, through friends of Bus's father, the, the Popus brothers who owned the escape, they mentioned, listen, there's a location right across from us, which was supposed to become a Wagamama, but Wagamama's pulled out. And it's a little bit larger than you were looking for, but I think you should come and take a look at it. We walked in this space. It was an old Femina Casino, a thousand square meter old, you know, Amsterdam building. We walked in there, it was completely gutted. We're like, this is it. <laughs> and we just decided to jump in and do it. So uh, it was, uh, it was a, an amazing time. We, uh, we learned a lot about, uh, about <laughs> Dutch hospitality, but also about, you know, customers, about positioning, about pricing about location so i think we made every mistake in the book but we had a lot of fun doing it yeah, that's what i wanted to ask <laughs> I, it's all about fun yeah. well well i think we all had a lot of fun i think every, all my that. friends benefited uh, more than me <laughs> uh, it was hard work it was very hard work because uh, you know it's very hands-on and you you don't have a, a personal life anymore you're working seven days a week you're working long hours but uh, i think that's where i realized what i was good at so there I realized, actually, I'm good at the branding side. I'm, I'm good at the storytelling side. I'm good at the interior design part. I'm good at making the menus with the chef. I'm, I'm good with the graphics. I'm good with the positioning, mm -hmm. with the inspiring of the team. What I'm not good at is operations, finance, construction. Um, and that's also how we had split our tasks, me and, uh, me and my business partner at that time. So that's a little bit where I became a bit more confident of what my strengths were and also, you know, really seeing what your weaknesses are. I think that's very important yeah. in life to not think that you can do everything yourself, you know? Um, so that was uh, an amazing adventure. We were very, very lucky that in 2008, right before the crisis hit, um, we could sell it. Um, we were already busy trying to sell it, uh, I would say beginning of 2008, but it was not easy to find a buyer, of course. Mm -hmm. And uh, December 2008, we closed the deal yeah. and to close that chapter. When and I wanna... oh, sorry. No, you go ahead. When do you decide to sell? company we decided to sell for many many reasons but one we we, we lost our uh, our chef that was one uh, aspect of it uh, and uh, we could not really replace his talent uh, and also because we started focusing less on the food and more on the events and more on the uh, the nightlife part of uh, the operations you could also see that the interior was starting to wear and it just became a vicious circle of mm -hmm. okay or reinvest in the club or lose the kitchen and by that time, uh, rain wasn't new anymore. There was lots yeah. of other places popping up. So, uh, so we decided, you know, let's, let's call it quits. And also, mm -hmm. lastly, uh, was that our ambition was to really build the global brand, to have rain London, rain Monte Carlo, rain St. Bart's. But we also realized how difficult that is. And if you don't have a very distinct proposition mm -hmm. uh, that really is differentiated uh, and really clear, then it's very difficult to do that. Yeah. So. Did you say the the growth of rain? Did that really come because it was a unique product at that moment, or was there a lot of, was it was it word of mouth? Was there some marketing behind it? How were you able to grow rain? Because, you know, it, yeah, that was were really very very busy busy nights. Every weekend yeah. was just yeah, it was jam packed. packed. I think uh, the first three months is easy, right? You're the new kid on the block. Mm -hmm. uh, you have, of course, a press agency who's working around the clock and making sure you're getting into all the publications. Everyone wants to come in and take a look. Uh, long term, we really had to go to like grassroots marketing. So it was really old school. There wasn't hardly any social media there. We only had, I uh, can't remember the name. What was the Dutch social media site? Uh, hives. Hives. We had Hives. <laughs> so we used Hives uh, in order to put our programming on there. But then we really worked with, uh, with an amazing creative agency at that time. I'm, I don't think they exist anymore. They were called Claire. And we said uh, we need to do programming and uh, our calendars every month. 
and put them in all the shops and hairdressers and all the places where our customers are going. We need to take out advertisements in certain uh, nightlife magazines. And uh, that's a little bit where creativity started because we said, yeah, we don't want to just make a regular flyer. So uh, I come up with the idea that every month uh, it should be a fold out, kind of a five piece of paper, uh, sorry, a three piece of paper. And uh, on one side was a programming of all the things that were going on in rain, but the other side was an art piece. And if you collect all 12 of them, it would make one huge art piece. Mm -hmm. So actually we ran that from January to November. And then in December, we came with a limited edition one, which was this huge poster, which was all the pictures put together as one art piece. Uh, so that actually worked back then. Yeah. 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 So you took a lot of learnings there and, and you noticed exactly where you, where you wanted to focus on. Yeah. So it really was building that brand. And, and I guess you did that a bit by rain. You sold it. What was your next step after that? Well, I know. The, inter the intermediate <laughs> step, of course, in, in 2000. 6 2007 we were already conceptualizing citizen m mm -hmm. uh, at that time it was uh, called one stars born and it was basically just a, it was a project to see how can we reinvent uh, the hotel for today's travelers and the team was put together it was a very small team it was about five or six of us so i was there already helping with uh, let's say the branding and the marketing side because they didn't have anyone really to fulfill that that role but i always felt that was you know I was with one foot in the door and one foot out the door because I still had rain and rain was giving me a lot of headache at the time. So I said, I can't really commit to it 100%. I'm going to be there for every board meeting. I'll be there as much as I can. But uh, that's another reason which motivated me to sell rain. I really wanted to get full time on board with, uh, with Citizen M. Uh, and at Citizen M, then we, we worked with Kessel's Clamor. Mm -hmm. So that was something that we started from day one. And then we started looking at, okay, what should this brand represent? What should, uh, what should the identity be? What should it be called? So it was a very, very interesting time. And we, uh, we developed that over about, uh, I would say, nine to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And then we opened the first hotel uh, already in 2008, which was at Schiphol. Yeah. But nine to 12 months to develop a brand. So, so No, no, identity. Identity. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, take us through that process. I yeah, mean, sure. What, was, what, 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 were the, what were the hurdles or what, you know, how, how, why did it take nine to 12 months to develop this? Yeah, well, I mean, before I get into that, I always say that it takes a lifetime to build a brand, right? So mm -hmm. brand is a living thing. A brand is never finished. It's almost like a human being, right? So uh, mm -hmm. you're grown, you're, you're born, you're a baby, you become a, you know, an adolescent, a teenager, an adult, but you're constantly evolving and changing and adapting. Um, so having that in mind, uh, the whole trajectory for Citizen M was very interesting. The first thing we had to figure out was who's our customer and what do they want? Right? It always starts with the customer because yeah, you can make whatever. You, I can make a, a purple chair tomorrow, but if customers don't want a purple chair, they're not going to buy it. So we, then we first said, okay, how do we put ourselves in the shoes of these mobile citizens? And basically that was pretty easy because I, I really identified with the target audience. So I said, okay, yeah, we, we don't need these huge suites. We want a great bed. I want to have a good shower. I don't want to have a shower curtain. I want to have a nice power rain shower, nice soaps, luxury soaps. And uh, the, should we have a cool bar? It should have nice art. The furniture should be inspiring. It should have nice music. So all those elements we started looking at from one, what is the architectural uh, philosophy, the interior design philosophy, uh, which led into that kind of like the brand design on the on the physical side, and then also on the identity side, right? So what what should be the name of the of the company? Uh, how should we um, how should we market it? What should the tone of voice of it be? What should the values of it of the brand be and the company be? Um, how do you um, make it come to life, et cetera, et cetera? 
and then we had to look at the different channels so yeah. it was a long process and we really thought about it hard and actually we came with a very easy simple solution that we named it after our customers right so citizen stands for citizen mobile which mm -hmm. is representative of the mobile citizens of the world which is our, our you know our target audience were there any other names that uh, didn't make the cut there are many. <laughs> <laughs> Any ones that... <laughs> well, I mean, of course, we, we also went, we went through a pitch process with different creative agencies. Kessels mm -hmm. was by far the strongest. And then Kessels, uh, we had many, many meetings about that. And we said, we always said that we liked the idea of affordable and luxury. Yeah. Right? So that was mm -hmm. also the reason why we started this company, because we said, uh, there's so many hotels out there. There's five-star hotels, but they're so expensive. And then there's also the budget hotels, but they have no identity and no soul. Mm -hmm. So I want to stay in the five-star but actually I don't want to pay that money and I don't want to stay in the budget because yeah, what does that say about my lifestyle? So what can we find something in the middle that offers an, an amazing location, uh, the luxuries that you'd expect from a five star, but at an affordable price. Um, so that's a little bit how that, uh, how that started. Cool. And then you, but if you want to know some of the other names, we had high, low, we had, pal your pal so personal affordable luxury we had a whole bunch but then kessel's rep they they, they uh, showcased this one idea which was called the citizen hotel and we like the inclusiveness of that we like the scale of it and so this is a very big idea the citizen mm -hmm. hotel we're all citizens of the world and but then we said yeah it's missing something so then they reworked it and it came back with uh, they added the m Nice. Yeah, yeah, and then Kessels, of course, our previous uh, guest, Matthijs, uh, <laughs> yep. was was one of the first working on yeah, that yeah, project. Sure. Actually, yeah, he was. So. Yeah, he was there since uh, since the inception as well. Dave Bell as well, our copywriter at that time. Yeah. So. Uh, so you probably had a huge team at Citizen M developing Citizen M, right? You probably had already two, three hundred people, right? No, <laughs> it was just yeah. me. It was just you, exactly. <laughs> on the branding side. It was just me, and of course, I would spar a lot with uh, with my father. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you started small, of course, and, Very then, small. and and I guess that 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 ethos goes through just to the brand that it is today. So you launched the first hotel in two thousand eight. How yeah. did that go? We were very scared because we had no idea if this was going to fly. And it was two thousand eight. It was two thousand eight. So we're right in the middle of the financial mm -hmm. crisis. Um, we had a concept which had only one type of room, uh, about seventeen square meters, so quite compact. Uh, we had a very different operational model where we wouldn't have thousands of staff, but, you know, kind of self-check in, grab your own food and drink, um, a lot of technology at that time. So, you know, touchscreen remote controls, which would, uh, you know, you could change the mood in your room and your closure uh, window shades, et cetera, et cetera. So, but the thing that we were worried about the most was, will our customers accept this room? Because it's really small mm -hmm. if you look at it in comparison to traditional hotels. And I was pretty confident about it because, yeah, it's, it's been so efficiently designed. Um, and uh, our architectural partner, Concrete, of course, uh, helped us with that. And they, they, of course, designed the whole concept. But uh, That's something that you felt that could work. I was confident about it. I think the location is good. The price is good. It's something that no one has ever seen before. So it was a little bit, again, like rain, at least uh, rain for Holland at that time. And, and the customers started flowing in. And but did you see yourself as that customer as well? 100%. So that's why you had confidence because you really confidence. felt like it's... I felt like it, if this was in London, New York or Paris, I would only stay here. Mm -hmm. Why would I spend three, four hundred pounds on a hotel room when, you know, I've got everything I need here. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, that gave me the confidence. And once the guests started coming in, we started receiving the feedback, then we grew more confident. And then we opened number two, which was in the Zaytos uh, on the, on the Beethoven Scott, also in Amsterdam. That was in 2009. And that's how we started slowly growing at one hotel per year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, 
we see i could go to we <laughs> <laughs> so we as citizen uh so we we see we made that move eventually from holland which was you could say a safe space right everything is close you understand the market to going abroad correct yeah so what was that first yeah so of course you know building hotels and operating hotels in your own backyard yeah it's not easy but it's easier than going abroad mm -hmm. and uh, citizen of course is also a real estate uh, owner so we're owner and operator so then the, the, the opportunity came Pretty to you know try this concept abroad mm -hmm. uh, and the first location that uh, we were able to acquire was a, an amazing site in the center of Glasgow Scotland and there we learned that uh, we can do it so we can build uh, and we can operate outside of our own backyard. Uh, so that was in 2010. And then the, the big step, I think, for CitizenM came in 2012 when we opened our first hotel in London. Because London, of course, is, I mean, so I, for me, it's, it's, it's one of the most inspiring cities in the world when it comes to hospitality concepts, when it comes to design. And um, we opened in 2012 in Bankside, and that's also where I think the, the brand evolved a little bit, at least from the brand design point of view. We started really working with higher profile artists on the facade. We did our first art commission on the inside. We launched Society M creative meeting spaces. We launched an atrium within the design, so I have more, more natural daylight coming in, uh, an architectural spiral staircase. Um, and that's a little bit, uh, that's one of the hotels which I'm the most proud of, because I think that kind of set the tone for the expansion and uh, now we have brand standards so whenever we're looking at a new space or a new site we're looking okay does this fit within the brand standards are, are the common spaces large enough do we have enough square meters do we have enough seats for breakfast how many rooms does it have uh, is the location on the best location possible on that street or is mm -hmm. it just around the corner and it's not yeah. there's no visibility so all those things we've learned along the way so yeah, I think 2012 was really a turning point for the brand. And I want to go into those brand standards, right? Because if you were to ask somebody to develop a brand book, you're going to get purely colors. Here's a logo. And this is visually, graphically how we express the brand. But Citizen, the brand is probably more than that, right? It's, oh, yeah, it's more than just the logo and the colors, right? The there's brand. so much. Of course, there's the whole identity side, which of course is your fonts and your logos and your colors, et cetera, et cetera. But then there's also your tone of voice. How do you write? It's also... Uh, your brand messaging. So we have Little Citizens, which we created with uh, with Kassus Kramer and then a photographer stylist duo called uh, Carmen and El, so Frodenthal Frodenthal for Haga, mm -hmm. where we made these little citizens uh, for everything. Right? So we had the business citizen, the cultural citizen, the party citizen, um, and um, we use those in all our communication. And then how do you translate those into your digital channels, et cetera, et cetera. So that's one part of it. Then the whole physical journey, of course. So we teamed up with Vitra, uh, as our furniture partner, we, we think that they make some of the best furniture in the world. They're, they're like uh, they're like art pieces in their own right. They all have a history. They're all made by different designers. It's a real collective of, of artists uh, who have come together, some living, some past. Uh, then we looked at what does food and, food and beverage mean for Citizen M. Then we looked at what is the sonic identity. So what does Citizen M sound like? We looked at the olfactive identity. What does Citizen M smell like? We mm -hmm. looked at technology. <clears throat> we looked at everything in such detail. Even I was remember I was you know tasting. 30 different kind of croissants. Which one had the best crunch? I was, I was smelling thousands of different soaps. Uh, you know, what should that soap smell like? What is the viscosity of the soap? So how much does it bubble up? Shouldn't bubble up too much? Shouldn't bubble up too little? So that, that's the detail that we went in. It was so much fun to do that. And I think that's what makes Citizen special. And that's also why I think we really are a brand-led company. We look at all those details. And I think companies that don't have that philosophy or they don't have it in their value system 
yeah, they're the ones who sometimes, uh, you know, drop the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and we'll never do, we always at Citizen M say that we want to do things first time right. That doesn't always happen, of course. You make mistakes, you learn. Uh, but uh, at least that's the, that's, we strive to do that. And that's why we take every, no details too small, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Because, I, you know, to, about that, you know, when I talk about Citizen M, I always say, no matter, you know, when you put on a blindfold, and we drop any person in any of our citizens around the world, they take off the blindfold, they know where they're at. Correct. Right? And yeah. that's the brand is more than just the logo. It's a very differentiated product, right? So I think within the hotel landscape, if you, uh, not to name names, but if you look at many of the major major operators, uh, and I were to blindfold you and put you in the lobbies of those exactly. uh, hotels and unblindfold you, you really wouldn't really know where you were. Mm-hmm. You know, because they all a little bit look the same. They're brown, and marble, and but if I took all the logos away, you don't really know where you are. If I do the same thing for you in Citizen M, doesn't matter if you're in Shanghai, in London, in Amsterdam, in New York, or Boston, uh, you'll know it's Citizen M. But we'll tweak it locally, right? We'll have local styling narratives. We'll have local local art. Of course, all the ambassadors that are working there are from that city. Um, and a, and a funny story about that is is all the f- very luxurious five star hotels. So I remember in Paris, you have the most luxurious hotels in the world. You have the Crillon, you have the Plaza Athene, you have the George Sank. They all look the same. I mean, they're beautiful, but they all look the same. So Four Seasons decided to differentiate themselves. You know how? By flowers. So they hired a guy called Jeff Leatham. They pay him a million dollars a year just to do the flowers uh, in the lobby. But it works because if you walk in that lobby, oh, yeah, it's Four Seasons. So it's amazing what branding, it's all by association. Mm-hmm. You, you can link uh, things uh, in people's minds. Um, not that we're going to start spending a million dollars on flowers. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to each his own, of course, you know, and we do it in a very different way. Yeah. So uh, when, when you had rains, right, you had the, the ambition was to go abroad. But when Citizen M really happened, yeah. and that was a big step. Uh, what's the next big step for Citizen M now? Well, next oh, for you. Yeah, well, next, I mean, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm very happy where I am. I love what I do. I'm passionate about what I do. I think I found uh, exactly where I need to be. So, um, but I think the ambition of the company is to really become the brand of choice, you know, going forward for the, for this traveler. I mean, it makes complete sense. Citizen M is this, is the smart choice. If I'm going to New York city, I don't want to pay a thousand dollars a night because mm-hmm. at the end of the night, it's, it's, it's a very expensive bar of soap. You're not spending much time in that room. You're out for meetings, you're going to be going to the restaurants, you're going to be going to a museum, whether you're on business or leisure, because those lines are blurred anyways nowadays. But yeah, but what do you want? You want to have a, you know, an ambiance, you want to feel some kind of lifestyle association of where you're sleeping, you want a good location, uh, and you want just some simple luxuries like an amazing bed, an amazing shower, technology that works. Uh, you don't want all the fluff, right? You don't need to have 10 hand towels. You don't need to have a chocolate on the pillow. You don't need to have a, aromatherapy oil next to the bed or a spa or et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we're, we're rolling out now and we have uh, just opened our 20th hotel in Seattle, Washington. And right now there's about 25 projects uh, under construction. So that's the future. That's what we're going to be focusing on. So that's, that's the next big step to, you know, to really continue to work on this brand and to improve uh, the product, improve uh, the service delivery, improve the technology, and so keep 25 evolving. hotels coming. 25 yeah, so more coming. 24 yeah. more coming. Okay. Yeah. Right. Do you see, <clears throat> so you're, you say Citizen the brand, and you bring lifestyle into it, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> is it that you see Citizen becoming more than just a hotel brand? 
do you see it as do you see more possibility for the brand as it has certain uh, you know it has certain values or certain you know mantras that live broader than just a hotel it could but at the end of the day we are of course a hotel company and a real estate company um but i would never say no uh i've been asked that question many times how come you guys don't do a citizen resort in the maldives or in miami or you know i said well that could maybe be one one day further down the road but at the end of the day we are meant for the business traveler uh, who is going to the big cities of the world who's in for two three days and uh, they need a great place to sleep now of course the world has also changed in the meantime so we'll need to adapt again and we'll mm-hmm. see maybe lengths of stay will increase instead of being short trips to new yeah. york maybe there'll be longer trips um, mm-hmm. but i think we can tie our brand into many other sections right so i think uh, i do believe in you know branding by association and branding through strong partners that we have like Vitra, like Bose, uh, like Hans Grohe. There's so many that we work with and the flip side could be true as well. We've never explored that really, you know, to do a, a fashion collection, you know, with an amazing upcoming designer, you know, uh, in, in collaboration with Citizen M. But uh, I think the, the values and the, the, let's say the DNA of the brand should hold true, right? So we're a contemporary brand. Uh, we are always about offering value uh, and that's very important because um, values perceive very differently. You know, what is value in Holland is different than value in America. Mm-hmm. So if a, if a room rate here starts at 100 euros, very good value. But if, if a room rate in America or let's say New York starts at $100, you might be a bit hesitant to stay there because it kind yeah. of might be a bit too budget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And then you talk about these different facets of Citizen M. Art is one of the bigger things, right? So how did that art fascination how did art kind of go into citizen m and what does it mean yeah. for it? well i think also we we really love art uh, at citizen m i think uh, our founder is a big uh, avid art collector he decided his uh, first uh, show called trouble in paradise in, in rotterdam last year so that's a little bit how it started but also if you look at interior design uh, furniture and styling only go so far there's much more to that to make a space come to life. Of course, the people who are in it make it come to life, but also the art, also the music, also the fragrance, also that candle on the table. So how to create an ambiance that feels like home. Mm-hmm. And that was always but the ambition of, of the living rooms at Citizen M to make it, you know, make it localized, but make it really feel comfortable and comfortable enough that you would take your shoes off and sit on the couch and read mm-hmm. a book, which happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, comfortable enough to, you know, sit on the couch, uh, pop open a six pack of beer and watch the football game. And uh, art, of course, tells stories, uh, and we can tell stories through art. So even in the first hotel, we always said we want to have art on our facade uh, in order to give a platform for either up-and-coming artists to showcase their art, and we want to have art in the lobbies of the hotels. And that evolved then to um, buying specifically for every single hotel. That evolved into also doing interior commissions not only with paint, but also with stone, with inlay, gold leaf, like we have in uh, Times Square, installations like we did in Tower of London with Studio Drift, with some more kinetic insulation. And we keep on pushing the, the boundaries there. Then that evolved into, we should also have art in the rooms. So we started lo- working with local, either uh, museums, institutions, art schools, in order to have art in the rooms of Citizen M. On a project that we're working on in, in Miami, we're actually doing sculptures on the exterior uh, of the facade. So it keeps on going, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we, we love the art community, we love what it stands for, we love creativity, and that's also why we, uh, 
are, are making that more of a pillar within, uh, within Citizen M. How could we take that even a step further? Because there's so many amazing artists in the world. We'd love to work with all of them. Um, so we keep trying to push the, push the envelope when it comes to art. Yeah, the next 25 hotels you were talking about, is, that in, is, when is, uh, is it going to happen like in the next five years or next 10 years? Uh, I would say the next three to five years. Uh, pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fast, but of course some of them have already been under construction. Mm-hmm. So you're ready to work uh, 4 to 12 o'clock? Uh, you know? um, I'll do it again. <laughs> Almost 24 hours. I'm a little older now, but I can still do it. <laughs> but of course I'm not by myself anymore. That I way. know, don't worry. <laughs> I'll do the second half. <laughs> exactly. No, and um, so, you know, working, you know, I've worked at Citizen, and I think when you talk about art, one of the major um, uh, moments, I would say that that, that art really played a role for Citizen M was Mosa, right? In New York, right? Because it wasn't just an art piece or an installation. It was something completely different of how, you know, Citizen M focused and supported art, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So uh, that was an amazing story. So um, there was a we were busy with our Bowery project on the Lower East Side, three hundred rooms, uh, magnificent, magnificent project, and um, we were not allowed to do art on the facade. Yeah. It wasn't allowed from a code point of view. We did have a big wall in front uh, of the hotel and in, in the plaza. So uh, I was, you know, trying to find an artist for that, and then actually through um, our project manager at that time. He informed me about uh, this place called Five Points uh, in Long Island City, which uh, was the mecca for street art. Um, and he said, yeah, this is, a, a, I think it was there for, for, I'm not sure how many years, about 14 years, something like yeah. that, or many, many years. It really became the mecca, not only for art, but for the community, right? Because so people would go there on weekends to see the art. It was fully curated, so artists from all around the world would come there and paint. But there was uh, there was break dancing going on. There was you know, ciphering going on. You know, people would come there with their kids. It was really a, a community uh, center. It was a landmark. Yeah, it was a landmark. People yeah. would come together, and uh, a developer bought the site. And in, instead of him trying to conserve and save some of the art, he whitewashed it one night uh, with a whole bunch of people. So I was very intrigued by that story. And um, our project manager at the time knew. Uh, one of the curators and uh, put me in touch with them. So I met uh, Marie and, uh, and Miras. Uh, I'll never forget the, uh, when I met them. And we just hit it off. We just started talking about art and community and culture and said, and we it was supposed to be a half an hour meeting. I think it was a three hour meeting. And I said, look, look, either way, I said, I'm going to give you that wall in front, you know, but I would love to give you more. I'd love to find a way to bring five points back to life. But unfortunately, yeah, maybe in one of the new hotels, you know, and then as we kept on thinking and thinking, we said, why not just look at any space which is unused in the hotel, which was the staircase, the fire escape, yeah. you know, it was, it's a 20 story hotel. So it's, it's quite a lot of square meters. So then we started coming up with the idea of doing the Museum of Street Art, which uh, should pay homage to the, uh, the culture of street art, which should pay homage to the neighborhood that we were in. Uh, so we did it also as a kind of a, an outreach to the community. And it should focus around, uh, you know, places, uh, faces, and quotes of the neighborhood, almost like a, a history lesson of the Bowery. So then what Marie and Miras did was they actually contacted all the artists, or at least some of the artists that uh, had worked at Five Points, mm-hmm. 20 of them. They all signed NDAs because uh, we wanted to keep it secret and not tell them what we were working on. And then we brought them all together. And then we, they realized that uh, this was going to be this project. So it was, you know, it was all, even emotional for these guys because they said, well, we're working again together. And then we worked through the summer um, 
for 420 hours they they painted yeah. in these staircases in New York summer you can imagine how hard it was yeah. uh, and we went through countless uh, cans of spray uh, spray paint of course and uh, it turned out to be such an amazing project and it's uh, it's, it's it's free to the public it's open seven days a week uh, you can just go into the lobby of Citizen M and you'll get escorted to the top and you can walk down the exhibition We've teamed up with Smartifies. You can do a full audio tour. We did over a thousand guided tours by Marie, and uh, it's one of the products that I'm the most proud of for sure. Because uh, we paid all of the artists, uh, we respected uh, what uh, the neighborhood stood for, but also you know, the, the integrity of the artists. And the nicest thing is that uh, a lot of them become very close friends, especially Marie and uh, and, and Mears. I mean, me and Maurice have met them many times for drinks. We've mm-hmm. been to Brooklyn with them, been to their home. Yeah. And uh, we work with them again in uh, in our Boston pro- uh, property. Um, yep. So that's really for me uh, an amazing project to be uh, to be very proud of. Yeah, and this yeah. partnership. I mean, yeah, I mean, partnerships are very important to Citizen M, of course. That that long lasting friendships and partnerships that that we've had for many years, right? So. Yeah, well, I think that's a bit uh, the way that we run the run the business, right? We're we're all about uh, pretty simple human values. You know, uh, treat everyone like you want to be treated yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, be genuine and transparent, be caring. And uh, that's the same way that we would like to run the business. And also with not only with the people who work for us, but also with people who, who uh, are on the supplier side. So, you know, Vitra, Concrete, Kesselskammer, Hans Rowe. We work with them for since, since day one, basically, <laughs> uh, you know. And um, we would like to continue that. You know? yeah. And uh I think that also then you build the brand together and you evolve together. So if I get a new branding agency tomorrow, they got to start from scratch. Now, what's that going to do to the brand? Whereas Kessel's Kramer has grown and lived the brand for so many years. If I go to another branding agency tomorrow, then they got to start from scratch. They might redevelop the brand a little bit. You might confuse the customer so that we don't want to, we'd rather not do that. But it's up to us, to people like myself, Maurice, to guide that process, you know, and make sure that we don't go too far to the right, too far to the left, make sure we are innovating and evolving, but that we're not uh, confusing the customer and taking too many quantum leaps. Mm-hmm. You yeah. see most brands today that get it wrong, either new management comes in, they want to change it up. And I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about changing the color of a logo. I'm talking about, you know, changing the integrity of the brand, <clears throat> you know, and a good example of that was with Mex. So Mex was famous for its city contemporary clothing. 30% of the collections were always black. Stretch fabrics, amazing, you know, wrinkle-free shirts, yeah. and we always had a black wall. It was called the Never Out of Stock Collection. It was sold to Liz Claiborne, and since I was on the product side, I was always curious. So even when I wasn't working for them anymore, I would walk into the stores, I would still know some of the store managers. So I walked into the Fifth Avenue flagship store of Mex, went to the men's department. I didn't see the news wall, I didn't see the black wall. I said, uh, what happened? Yeah, no, the, the black uh, color doesn't uh, sell that well, so we decided to make that an accessory wall. We have nice books and candles there. So then you know you're messing with the integrity of the brand yeah. and uh, some of the things that, you know, that made it, made it a success in the first place. And uh, yeah, a few years later, they, they sold it off and almost, uh, you know, almost went bankrupt. So. And do you find that also a challenge now? I mean, with Citizen M, the integrity and, and, and the growth of Citizen M, of course, what would you say is, is the biggest challenge to ensure that, you know, it doesn't become just another hotel brand? Well, biggest challenge is still staying close to the customer and understanding what their needs are. And the other challenge is making sure that whoever is working on the brand side, on the design side, they understand the brand fully. 
yeah. and staying close to that. So that's why we have certain forums and, and platforms where we, we meet, where we discuss changes like that. And also making sure your voice is heard within the organization. So people would know that if they decide to all of a sudden put a bowling alley in the basement of the new Citizen M in uh, Monte Carlo, that they, you better run that by Robin first. You know, or if we decide to throw the, up the pricing from 100 euros to 10,000 euros a room, or if all of a sudden we decided to do suites, they won't get away with not running it by me, I would say, because, yeah, I, I do speak for the, for the brand. Of course, my entire team does, but I'm, I guess, the one who's representing that. And uh, you there have is to, the creative board, which is, yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of companies don't have something like that. Yeah, we have a creative board, uh, which is something that we set up. We have, of course, our strategic council where uh, a lot of the decisions are made, but uh, all the creative decisions are made in the creative board. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's no one from finance or legal allowed in that, because that's a dreaming session. Mm -hmm. And that's where we design the new hotels, we lay them out, what are the new, you know, are we doing, we're doing swimming pools now, of course, in, in some of the properties in Miami. Yeah, I heard. So uh, that's where we can dream. Who's and, part of the creative board? So part of the creative board is, uh, is my father, myself, Rob Wachemans from uh, Concrete, then our art curators who are in-house, uh, our stylists, uh, our uh, design managers. Uh, there's always uh, Michael Levy in there from operations because, of course, he can design something very nice, but it has to be functional mm -hmm. operationally. Um, and that's it. Right. So that's where we discuss furniture, art, uh, in architecture, interior design. Uh, we also might make a decision there that, you know, if we take away 10 rooms, we can add a pool. Or if we take away these five rooms on that floor, we can have a, a higher ceiling. So we might make those decisions. But if someone from finance or someone is there, they might say, you know, but we need as many rooms as possible. Mm -hmm. So it's a balance, right? So it's not that we're only being creative there and we want to make yeah. the most beautiful hotel. It's got to be functional. It's got to deliver the returns to the shareholders. It's got to have the maximum amount of keys that we can fit in there without, you know, yeah. uh, screwing up the whole formula. Yeah. But it's, it's very interesting how that, uh, how that works. But let's say the price of a stay is also not only the amount of rooms, but also what you can offer the guests when they're there. So a pool is important versus uh, not having a pool. Exactly. And also, if you're going to be going to a hotel in Miami, yeah, if, if it doesn't have a pool, yeah, maybe you don't want to stay there. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. or in America where we have gyms in all our hotels because it's very important for the U.S. customer. So that's why we do adapt as a brand. You know, we don't have any gyms in any of our European properties. Would I like to have them there? Yeah, but... <coughs> The U.S. customer, you know, they 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 need to have a gym. How do you know that? Is it also like based on the feeling? No, there that's also done on research, and that's done on uh, other hotels that have maybe tried to enter into the U.S. market, and of course, speaking to a hell of a lot of people, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, a little bit of intuition. Right. Yeah. And then, so Citizen M, or you you're saying you're staying for a while. <laughs> It's really where you feel at home. What have you seen, kind of, you know, the evolution of the brand of Citizen M? What has been the most profound kind of evolution you've seen from 12 years ago to now? From what side? From the design side? From the marketing side? From the organization side? Or? All of the above. <laughs> well, I think we've, I mean, professionalized as a company, you know? So we started really with, you know, maybe 10 guys. And now we're about, uh, you know, almost 300. Um, what I am... If you look at the organization from the operational side and how we manage the hotels and how we have structured that as a, in a reverse pyramid thinking, you know, so that we're our support function to the hotels. I think that's something to be very proud of. It's also something very unique, you know, so we've kind of taken our learnings from from retail, but also uh, how to operate these hotels efficiently. 
if you look at how we've progressed in our branding and our marketing, of course, also through technology and new channels that have evolved, but we've you know been a leader in that, mm-hmm. making sure that we you know we've we work with so many different creatives and agencies and how do we get our social strategy right? How do we get the right people on board? Uh, if you look at the whole digital journey and the whole journey of the guests, yeah, this, that's language that I didn't know five years ago, but mm-hmm. that's we've we've learned uh, how to work together more, not just marketing the. The brand, but also seeing how can we convert that into sales. You know, how does it work for corporates, companies that want to book Citizen M, uh, people who only want to book a meeting room, people who only want to work from the lobby. So there's so many aspects to it. So I think we've evolved that much. I think on the on the project management side and the construction side, we've also learned a lot. Right, we have now a sourcing and procurement team. We have design managers in in the U.S. and in Europe who are you know. Uh, solidifying the brand standards and challenging it and we're working closer than ever with our architects uh, we're adding new features um, the acquisition teams are finding amazing sites um, so there's so much going on so is I it think still that, like I don't know the English word for it like oversichtelijk uh, can you oversee it yeah you can yeah. still oversee it but you can only oversee it I think Citizen is a very transparent company so that's why we have this uh, strategic council uh, mm-hmm. once a month where um uh, all the heads of the departments are there and they present and that's how you keep yourselves informed. So I know exactly, maybe not in the detail, but I know exactly what's happening on the new project on Champs-Élysées mm-hmm. or in the new one uh, in, in Miami. So I know what's happening. I know what's, what's keeping my colleague awake at night. Maybe there's a problem with the permit. Maybe there's something happened here. Mm-hmm. Same when it goes to technology. So then you, if you know what's going on in the organization, then you kind of also can you know, oversee it a little bit. But of mm-hmm. course, I'll specialize in what I do but it's good to know that. And uh, I think it's also a part of sharing. So whenever I finish a strategic council, usually when we have our team meeting, I'll tell my team, this is the important thing that you need to know. So we're not hiding anything because mm-hmm. yeah, we're a very open, open company. Yeah. And do you have any piece of advice? Just, you know, someone wants to start their own business or someone wants to go into marketing, branding. What, what is key? What is core to, you know? I think the most important that. thing when it comes to branding is consistency. Right. So take the time to develop your brand and the, the, the thinking behind it. And keep in mind that a brand is a living thing. It's a human being. So basically it's you. Mm-hmm. A brand is nothing more than a personification of a human being. Uh, and I've done that. I do a lot of presentations, of course. And I always give the example of, you know, Richard Branson, right, from Virgin. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's if you if I were to ask you, what are the four or five adjectives that describe Virgin? You probably say it's daring. It's outgoing. It's a bit crazy. It's wild. Well, he's the same. Richard Branson lives his life that way. He's the first guy who went around the world in a hot air balloon. He's the, he'll be the first commercial astronaut going up with Virgin Galactic. When he launched Virgin Brides, he came wearing a bridal dress with lipstick on, riding a tank. I mean, the guy's nuts. But that's what uh, that brand, uh, Virgin, personifies him and the other way around. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way if you look at, uh, it could also be not a personification of an, a person, but also of, of an idea. So if you look at Starbucks, if you look at Howard Schultz, yeah, he didn't invent coffee. Coffee's been around for centuries, but he reinvented the experience of drinking coffee. So I would say consistency. So first finding out what is what are you trying to do? How do I make that very personal? What are the values that you have in putting it into the brand? And then consistently growing it and yeah. uh, monitoring it and guarding it. Because there'll be a lot of naysayers out there saying, no, you should do it this way. No, you can never do that. And having the guts to say well thank you for very much for your feedback but my mm-hmm. intuition says otherwise yeah, yeah, yeah. You, know, you know I think that's 
that would be my first piece of advice for uh, so for someone who's starting a new brand. So you know, understand your customer, make sure you get your foundation correct, and then consistently roll it out. And also, I would say, you know, the whole experience, because I think one thing we didn't really touch upon are the ambassadors at Citizen, right? So, yeah. I mean, they really live and breathe the brand. I think that's that's one of the main uh, uh, key pillars. It's it's the, the brand. it's the most important pillar. Yeah. So I always tell people, uh, you know, we of course, we made a Citizen book and it shows a lot of nice pictures and everything's beautiful. I said, listen, we could have the best locations in the world. We could spend a hundred million dollars on every hotel. We could have Picassos hanging on the wall and furniture made out of gold and spend tons of money on marketing. But the people who work for you, and in our case, the ambassadors, they live and breathe uh, the brand. Without them, this doesn't work. Um, so that's that's something to, to really consider. That's why we take so much uh, pride, but also put so much energy uh, training in, into our ambassadors because uh, without them it doesn't work and we don't hire uh, on CV we hire on personality mm-hmm. right so if you are uh, an introvert maybe citizen is not the best place for you to work but if you're if you're confident in your shoes and you're you have you're, you're, you're yourself right uh, I don't care if you've got a tattoo pink hair I don't, I don't, everyone is welcome to work at citizen M, but you have to be yourself and uh, the rest we can teach you Right? It's the same at uh, at Apple. If you want to work in one of the Apple stores, uh, they ask you basically one question with 30 parts to it, but it all boils down to do you really love Apple and what we stand for? The rest will teach you. Mm-hmm. No problem. And so now imagine walking into an Apple store and take all the people away. We would have no ambiance. We would have no soul. Right? The people, right. the guys there in the t-shirts, hey, how you doing? Can I help you? They're the ones who make it happen. Same thing for citizens. So with them, this whole formula doesn't work. Yeah, and it's them being very open and able to be themselves like you say the apple store when you're having conversation the person talks about his personal uh his, his personal experiences with the product so how no, amazing it's is that it's here. not scripted hey how you doing man? oh yeah i also have that iphone i have the green cover but I, if you want the black the black one or the blue one we have that one too yeah. but the green yeah. one i like because it has a nice touch to it you know that, yeah you want yeah. you don't want a bullshit sales pitch you know and yeah we've had so many amazing stories at citizen i remember when we did the casting day in glasgow uh, one of the girls who we ended up hiring came to uh, Michael and me and they said, I have something to ask you or to tell you. We're like, what, what, what's going on? She's like, this is not my real hair color. And she had brown hair. I said, well, what is your real hair color? She's like, it's hot pink. So both me and Michael at the same time said, well, change it back. That's you. <laughs> if you've got a piercing on, you know, no problem. If you have a tattoo, you don't have to hide it. Uh-huh. But you'd be surprised in the hospitality industry how scripted things are. Yeah. Even to... You must wear your hair like this. You must not have a shade of lipstick that's you know brighter than mm-hmm. this or lighter than this. I mean, it's crazy. But even having breaks and and and, and lunch and dinner here at Citizen M. Yeah, true. We don't have a back door at Citizen M. Everyone comes in through the front door and leaves through the front door. You want to have your lunch break or your dinner break? You sit in the living room with everybody else. We're we're not ashamed of people who work for us. We're we're proud of them. So please, sit there. Yeah. You know. So uh, that's really ingrained in our philosophy, and it's very different. Uh, than most other companies not only hospitality I would say yeah and that's how we create the fans and people who really just love yeah that's how also we kind of create the we create the family yeah you know yeah, 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 yeah. so there's if there's one city that isn't in the roadmap for Citizen M that you feel we need to be in Lagos you, man <laughs> <laughs> I've been pitching that for years but let's not go into that so Lagos Nigeria for sure one city that's not in the pipeline one city that's not in the pipeline there isn't anything that you know in the future that there 
but you're saying we have to and i am asking all our dni guys to pay attention here yeah tokyo tokyo Whoa, that would be nice yeah yeah and why well because we're not it's not in the pipeline or <laughs> one but i for one have never been to tokyo it's been my dream to go to tokyo and i've never been for many reasons every time i booked a trip there it had to be can- once that we had the the, the, the tsunami that hit mm-hmm. and uh, another time i also had to cancel it but i just think that uh it would be such an amazing place to have a citizen hotel. I think also the Japanese consumer would identify with it. Right? Um, they're intrigued with design, interior design. They're way ahead of us when it comes to some of those things, mm-hmm. technology. And uh, I think it would be an amazing uh, city to have uh, yeah. you know, one of our hotels in. And I have a few friends of mine, actually one of my friend in particular, who just opened up a restaurant uh, um, and cocktail bar in Tokyo. Okay. It's called the Spice Lab and the Grey Room. Uh, Sunandan, I think oh, you yeah. know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he is mixing Indian cuisine with, you know, Japanese uh, finesse. Wow. And uh, it's been a huge success. And uh, so now that, you have to go. Now I have to go. <laughs> well, there's there's no pressure to Tony. Let's not put any names to yeah. him. <laughs> <laughs> one day. One day, one day. So just, we're, I'm rounding off. Uh, Michelle, you have any other questions? To no ask questions. Or? Just no. something I want to say. I, that I wanna, yeah. Yeah, Definitely. no, I, 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 is there anything else that you want to, that you want to share with our, with our listeners about just, you know, your experience in, in building the brand Citizen M or just general advice around that? No, I think Thought. just general advice. I mean, you've heard my story a little bit, how I went from left to right and different industries. And, uh, I think life is a journey. So you need to also find, um, find your way and, uh, don't settle. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you're stuck in a job that you don't like, or you're not passionate about, then get out. There's other things out there and everyone's got a special talents and everyone's got a passion. Once you find that passion, then you can be happy. And uh, that's something, of course, I've also learned from my father that he said, yeah, if you're not, if you don't wake up in the morning and are happy to go to work, then you're in the wrong line of work mm-hmm. Then you're in the wrong job. Yes. You know, so that uh, is, is very good advice that he gave me. And he said, I don't care what you do. If you want to be the best guitar player in the world, then do it. Or if you want to become a professional tennis player, do it. But as long as you love it, mm-hmm. then you're happy. You know, so I think uh, that's uh, my two cents worth of advice. And uh, I think we spoke a lot about branding and, yeah. uh, and marketing and uh, it's, it's a little bit the same game in every industry. But I always like to make things simple in order to understand them. Yeah. Because the world has become quite complex with all the you know, digital channels, et cetera, et cetera. Even I'm still learning every day. And that's also, I guess, a piece of advice. And keep on learning, keep on pushing yourself and keep on uh, trying to make yourself better. Yeah. Because you never know it all. And how do you think, really the last question, how do you think the, the last couple of months, you know, that the world has gone through, through different things, pandemic and what's happening in the States, how do you think that, you know, uh, uh, how that is going to shape Citizen or, or is it, or, you know, is the brand or how do you believe yeah. we're going to go and continue from here? Yeah, I think... As the pandemic, the of course, came as a, as, a, as a big, uh, you know, shock to all of us. And uh, I was very happy to see that we quickly reacted, got control of the company, of course, but also we we're more connected than ever, I feel. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, you, you know that we're, my eyes are kind of square from staring at that screen all the time because we're constantly behind the computer, but uh, you're very connected. Uh, I'm also very proud that we didn't, uh, we, we retained our entire workforce. We didn't close any of our hotels unless we had to. Um, so I'm, I'm quite, quite proud of that, but I think going forward, yeah, it's going to change the, 
behavior of our customer in the short term, I think, because yeah, the, the days of going up and down to London for, for a, a city trip, not for, sorry, for a business meeting, I think they're done. Mm-hmm. You're going to think twice, maybe three times, do I really need to go? Or can I combine it with something else and go for two, three days instead of going up and down on that or- morning flight to London City and back in the evening? This becomes like the rat race, you know? Um, I think that uh, within the organizations is giving us a lot of time to, of course, look at other projects that we didn't have time to do before. So it's giving a lot of time for reflection, to look at how do we institutionalize processes. So I think we'll, we'll come out stronger uh, and we'll adapt again. You know, we'll adapt again with whatever consumers want. Um, I think that's that's the main learning that we'll have from this. Uh, yeah, we see now Europe, of course, opening up again a little bit and hopefully the rest of the world too. But uh, it's been uh, eye-opening. For me personally, it's been uh, a little bit of a silver lining so I can spend some more time with my little baby boy. Mm-hmm. So he's also like, what the hell are you doing here? You're supposed to be at work. <laughs> <laughs> so every day, 24-7, I'm with him. Yeah. But uh, I think it also a lot of re- I think a lot of people are doing personal reflection at the moment, too. What's exactly. really important for them? Yeah. Am I in the right job? Yeah. Am I happy? Yeah. Uh, and also learning new things. A lot of people are cooking. A lot of people are doing yoga. A lot yeah. of people are, are reading. You know, so it's also like a kind of a... Setting up podcasts. Yeah, setting up podcasts. <laughs> I mean, how amazing is that? You would have never had the time to do it otherwise, right? So... Right. I think it's, uh, although it's a horrible thing which has happened and many, you know, people have, uh, you know, suffered and lost their lives, but I think it's also a bit of a kind of a reset. What's really important, guys, you know, and uh, I think hopefully the planet will come out uh, also uh, in a better place after this is passed. Yeah. Cool. No, perfect. Robin, Mr. Cool, Chada, my friend, thank you very thank much. Thank you, guys. Uh, looking forward to traveling the world again with you, yeah. especially Tokyo. <laughs> I've now added that to our list. Exactly. And we'll make that happen. Thank you very much for Thank uh, you, guys. It was fun. Us. Yeah, looking forward to going to all 25 <laughs> parties. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks a lot, man. Cool, guys. Thanks. 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 Bye.